loving God, you have called us your beloved. And today we rest in that name. For all the competing labels that are placed on us, we pray that that one would sit at our core as we talk about dependence and vulnerability and what it is to rely on you in a world where we, in a world where we can produce so much for ourselves. We ask that you would teach us to be grateful recipients of your good gifts, that we would see you truly as the source of life today, that we would learn from you and learn to love you. Amen. Excellent. So we uh, have been talking about um, an obscure line in this prayer, um, known as the Jesus Prayer or the Lord's Prayer or the Abba Prayer. And the line we've been looking at is this one that's in handily in italics. Jesus spoke it in italics in the original Aramaic, so it's good to know. Um, give us today our daily bread. Uh, and we've been asking, as people who live in North Fitzroy, um, many of us don't ever have to worry about getting bread every day, um, unless it's whether it's got gluten in it or not. And been asking the question of what does this what does this mean? What does this prayer? What does this line of um, such de- dependence for food, which probably, if you're an agrarian farmer in um, Palestine in the first century? would have carried um, a deep resonance um, because you're relying on a harvest to make sure that you get bread. For us who um, have other ways of getting bread, um, what does this prayer mean for us? What do we have to learn from it? Is it an irrelevant footnote in history or does it have something powerful to say? Um, Spoiler alert, I think it's the second one. Um, We've been... We went back in time a little um, to the story of the exile, which is the centerpiece of uh, the Hebrew Bible, um, the exile from Egypt into um, the, um, sorry, the exile into Egypt and then the exile out of Egypt. So a nation of people who get brought into hundreds of years of slavery by a, um, a narcissistic um, tyrannical empire hell-bent on collecting all the food so that come drought time, they can sell it in exchange for people and their land. Um, Israel find themselves at the bottom of the pyramid, of the pyramid makers, um, building bricks to make grain warehouses to store up grain to leverage against the poor come drought time. And their God, a God among many gods, um, hears the cry of an oppressed people and leads them out of Egypt into a desert where they are set free, um, but they are in this detox space of desert where they can no longer make bricks, but they can no longer farm either. And it's terrifying and scary to be dependent um, on the promise of this God who says, I'll drop bread from the sky every day and you can collect it, but you can only collect Wow, that's like my mum's level of um, volume, Catfin. I did, hadn't realised you'd entered that phase of life already. I'm sorry to hear it. It's uh, you, that's right. You never know. You never know how many potential suitors might be calling this morning. So we want to exactly. Woo. Everyone else might want to turn your phones up too. 
Um, where was I? Ah, oh, yes, we're in the desert, um, where they can collect food, but only enough for a day. This incredibly um, vulnerable space for people who have kind of experienced so much hardship, but also the security of being um, in a particular place in society. They are now, there's this open land, this open desert where they're dependent on bread falling from the sky, how vulnerable that must have been. How for people who've just worked every day for generations under horrendous conditions to no longer be able to work, but instead to depend on the goodness of the God that delivered them. Um, It's a frightening thing. So we looked at um, Mitzrayim and Manuha, Mitzrayim being the uh, Hebrew word for Egypt, which kind of symbolized empire, uh, where achievement is master, where dependence is weakness, where there's a stance of restless discontent, where what a nation or a people produces or a person produces defines them. Where to rest is anxiety because you're giving up the opportunity to accumulate more, which you might need in the future. Where expansion must happen at all costs, even if people die in the process. Where work is endless because we are people, we can always make more. And they're invited into the space of manuha, which is the Hebrew word for rest, where the goal is to be deeply human, where dependence on God is not a burden but a gift where there's a stance of gratitude because God is the source of life, where rest is life-giving and what it means to be human, where a people can say, we have enough today. I've done enough today. I'm okay today. I'll put my tools down today and pick them up another day. And, part of, and that is what is part of being human. We're climbing another notch on the ladder, climbing another rung on the ladder um, isn't the constant goal. There's something more to being human than carrying on expanding and controlling and securing and accumulating and, cri- and um, climbing. I'm going to read from... Um, a song that Israel sung on the Sabbath day. I would sing it for you, but uh, I've lost the tune, so unfortunately, uh, you're just going to have to listen to it today. In fact, someone else reading would be really nice. Does anyone else feel like reading a... Thank you. You you can stay there. I'll come to you. Always getting my steps up. Psalm 92, verse 1 to 9. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High, It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by a ten-stringed instrument, a harp and the melody of a lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O Lord, what great works you do. How deep are your thoughts. Only a simpleton would not know. And only a fool would not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, will be exalted forever. Thank you. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. 
that kind of enthusiasm is quite difficult to take this early in the morning. I don't know about you, but there's something that makes me feel innately uncomfortable about expressing that much delight. Some of you will find it really easy, but to me, I don't know, it feels so saccharine and disingenuous to have that kind of, like, I'm just trying to think about singing this on my way to church in the morning and just going, ah, too, too, too much, too much positivity. How strange this kind of unbridled optimism sounds in our day and age. And it really made me want to look at why I find this so difficult. So today, we're talking about delight. Now, for the, some of you are going like, this is me, I leap out of bed singing this stuff. This is fine. Good on you. You're a better human than the rest of us. I'll give you a sash. I've learned something about delight at my other work. So I work a bit for the church, and to keep me sane... I work in coffee and wine as well. Um, the current, my current coffee work is at uh, this place here on Gertrude Street. And um, I had, I've worked at kind of like lots of like high volume specialty coffee places for a long time and wanted to do something a little, a little bit different. And one of my mates was chefing at this place and was like, oh, there's like a couple of days a week going and they're a really good crew. We should go like make coffee here. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And so I now work at Donut Shop, Donuts and Coffee. Um, and it's this tiny little shop, and it's owned by the guys. Some of you might know Shop Ramen on Smith Street. Um, it's owned by the same crew. That's Pat just there. He's quite lovely. Um, and they do Japanese-style donuts. Um, and they are absolutely amazing. I'm not actually a massive donut fan. Well, I wasn't a massive donut fan, and now I'm becoming morbidly obese. Um, there's like that red one is raspberry and yuzu with chantilly cream. Um, there's a pina colada one in there. Matcha and white chocolate, golden mocha crunch, black sesame and coconut, um, salted caramel filled chocolate ring, um, <laughs> vegan brown sugar and almond. I was going to bring some this morning. I actually was. But then, uh, no, 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 this is my conflict. I was going to bring some this morning, but then I was like, I couldn't not give them to the kids because the kids are so awesome. But then the parents would murder me for giving them to the kids or commandeer them off the children, and the children would cry, and I would be a monster. So there's rationale behind this, but um, come and see me um, at work someday, and I'll (laughs) sell you a donut. Um, But they are... Oh, and there's a new one, which is my favourite at the moment, uh, which is... um, uh, peanut butter glaze with a chocolate custard filling, which is really, really yummy. So I work, and then there's like small batch coffee um, and all kinds of like peanut butter milkshakes, and it's 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 a it's a land of wonder and delight. It's an it's an amazing place to work. Um, the strange thing about it is how few people can eat a donut with any joy. All day, I reckon about 50% of the transactions are exactly the same. Small group of people walk in, have a hushed conversation among themselves, pointing at them, 
and then say, oh, I really shouldn't. But they look so good. But, I, oh, I really shouldn't. But have you seen that one? What's that one? Black sesame and coconut. Oh, my gosh, it sounds amazing. It is really good. Oh, and then 50-50 between and walk out. And then the other half, oh, I guess so. And then sit there going, oh, my God, this is so good. I should not be eating this. Oh, my God, this is so good. This is the last one I'm having this week. I call it donut shop existential angst. Because it's like a small, like, <laughs> life crisis. Not everyone, but a heck of a lot. Something so simple as a donut becomes incredibly complex. And few people can consume a donut without conflicting emotions, some kind of guilty joy. Why? What might be some of the reasons this is so much of a wrestle? This is crowd participation time, so if you have any ideas or experiences, what might be some of the conflicting With donuts, it's like, oh, if I have this, it's got sugar in it. And Sarah Wilson says sugar's bad. And Pete Evans says that donuts are evil. And if I have all these donuts, it means, it means it's 600 million calories and I've got to do 60 billion steps on my Fitbit. And, oh, it's just too hard. Definitely. Here's one. Any more? I'm just going to add to what Ben said, but on a slightly feminist same. He says that we look well for guys as well as girls. We live in a world where the size of your waistline uh, reflects your mental health as well and is also entirely whatever. What you look like tells us who you are inside. Mm-mm-mm. Did a very, very good This American Life recently on fat. Amazing. It's worth listening to. There's also the aspect of people whose social conscience is at the fore. It's like, this is an extravagance. There's no way I need this. This is money that I could be putting into something else. I, you know, I've got so much. I don't need this. Can I justify it? Totally. Ruth's never felt that, so she laughs in the face of the poor. Oh, it's Mark. Sorry. Mark has zero social con- conscience, so... Here's <laughs> the cookie monster. And again, so this isn't everyone, and this isn't every experience in the donut shop, but this is, this is enough for me to go, this is a really common occurrence. Like, I watch this all day. Our relationship to food, our relationship to treats, our relationships to excess. And I'm not saying it's all unfounded and bad and that we shouldn't be thinking about those things, because I definitely think we should. What I am saying is, our experience of something so simple as delight because of the lives that we live and the complexity of the world that we live in becomes increasingly complex all the time. And simple delight is a very, very difficult experience for something that we crave so badly. 
How could Israel sing the song of delight without irony? What is it about the spirit of Sabbath or Manuha that allows engagement with such joy without the self-consciousness that I might have about it? For Israel, Sabbath carried a narrative, a narrative that delight and Sabbath or rest went hand in hand. Delight, rest, and gratitude were all connected. And that goes back, as Rod referenced a few weeks ago, to Genesis, to the origin story of Israel. You've got a loving, excited, enthusiastic God taking a void, a mess, a chaos, a darkness, and shaping it and making great things out of it. He created the sea, and it was good. He created the sky. It was good. He created fishes, and they were good. He created fruit trees, and they were good. Birds, good. Scurrying animals, good. Man and woman, good, good. Genesis 2. So, God, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested, he manuhad, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, or God said, I am with it, or God said, I am in this. Because the day when he rested from all of his work, sorry, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. All of this creation, the story tells us, is only completed, it's only worthwhile, it's only truly good when the tools are put down and it is admired and enjoyed and given thanks for. Alternatively, no amount of production or creation or effort or status or more is worthwhile without being free to sit back and acknowledge, engage, and encounter it. God had another option. Imagine what God could have made On the seventh day, he could have made unicorns and dragons and fairies and any other suggestions of things you'd really like to see made that aren't made yet. Monkey dragons, the the greatest hybrid of all hybrids, monkey dragons. They're cheeky and they'll burn your face. But what would his experience of the seventh day of creation been? Resentment from exhaustion? Frustration that there isn't an eighth day? Disconnection from what was created? Another day of work would have made more, but it would not have made deeper. It would not have made room for delight. Sabbath, or rest, or manuha, is not about more, but about deeper. We're implicitly trained that more is better, more power, more wealth, more security, more activity, more relationships. But Sabbath tells us that unless we can delight in what we have, more won't satisfy. More does not actually add. When we can say, oh, sorry, when we can say, what I have is good, Today I will add no more. We can truly immerse ourselves in delight. What I have is good. 
Today, I will add no more. When we can rest in that, we can begin to encounter true delight. Manuha isn't just about a Sabbath day, but a rhythm of life where we place our trust in something other than what we can produce, than the status that we can achieve. Manuha invites us to rest, to sit back, to become connected with the work of our hands and the gifts God has provided. Manuha is the anti-consumption, the anti-accumulation, the anti-empire. Manuha, rest, saying enough, is a powerfully subversive act in our day and age. If we want to fix, if we want to address the terrible state of mental health in our community, one really good place to start would be learning how to say enough. Which is really, really linked to the other phrase, I am enough. I am the beloved. Manuha slows us down to digest, to marinate, to appreciate, to truly see. Manuha unclutters our vision, allows us to meditate on what is good and where it comes from. It's an act of delighting in the world. Ceaseless production, status anxiety, lust after more, fear-driven hoarding, makes no room for delight. It's slowly squeezed out. So the challenge of the series is to work out how to need delight into our everyday. Understanding that Sunday mornings matter for lots of reasons, but they're not any more important than soccer practice. They're not the main thing. They're not the real thing. The real thing is how we take what we practice here, these moments of pausing, this reminder that you are the beloved and you are okay, this naive and ridiculous idea that God is the source of life, not our own strength. How do we take that into our relationships, into our workplace, into our striving, into our identity, into our everyday? I'm going to turn to a guy called Norman Wurzba, um, partly just because he's got such a great name. <laughs> Funny, I could have married a Wurzba. Um, and read you this little guy. Delight makes rest possible. But in its practice, we have often given up the need, sorry, in its practice, we have given up the need to secure the world and our existence by our own hands or in terms of our limited often arrogant, rational accounting. Our culture would lead us to believe that joy is something we create and earn through our effort. The teaching of the Sabbath offers us a strikingly different path, a way that begins and ends with the love of God as the foundation for any and all goodness in life. Joy and delight are not something we bring about. They follow from our grateful acceptance and affirmation of God's gracious care. We can now begin to see why Sabbath observance is of the greatest significance 
and why our refusal to heed it is a great threat. In its practice, what we are finally doing is opening ourselves up to the happiness of God and letting God's intentions for Manuha take precedence over our own ways. For a people who experience so much anxiety whenever we rest and stop, it should be a fairly strong warning sign that the spirit of Mitzrayim, of empire, of ceaseless production takes hold of our hearts so easily. And that radical practices like resting, stopping, and pausing, like reflecting and being grateful, aren't just trite and naive and um, cliche practices, but something that is potentially deeply transformative for us. In practice, what we are finally doing is opening ourselves up to the happiness of God and letting God's intentions for Manuha take precedence over our own ways. So that's what we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks, trying to work out how to engage in delight and rest, how to see God as the source of life, even though we can produce so much stuff for ourselves, um, and trying to do it in really practical ways. So we're going to invite people from our community to share how they um, build it into their everyday um, this morning, we're going to participate in uh, what has been called the Love Feast, which sounds way dirtier than it actually is. Uh, sorry to disappoint you. Um, in the common table, in the center here, our amazing um, group of setup people have mastered the juice dispenser. Um, and it's such a small token of joy. Using the juice dispenser is not, that's a huge experience of joy. But. These little tokens of grape juice and crackers are, um, again, a radical invitation to the table where everyone is equal, where everyone is beloved, where status has no place, where the marks of empire and waistlines and um, how high up the ladder you are and what position you hold in your company and the labels people put on you actually have no bearing in this place at this table. They all fall away and accepting the radical grace of Jesus that says, you are not that important, and you are the beloved. Very important. So we're going to eat and drink together. Um, You're all welcome to come and take a token, and we're going to stand around the table with the people who are trained in cracker cracking can crack crackers. Um, And we can all take a juice, and we will pause, and I will read a benediction blessing, and then we will eat and drink together. So please gather around the table. Um, If you do not wish to partake this morning, um, that's totally fine. You can come and stand around the table as well, or you can um, hide under a table, or you can take a juice and just call it morning tea. That's totally fine too.
this meal has been consumed for over 2,000 years. Slave and free, high and low status, Jew and Gentile. Broken and people who don't acknowledge they're broken. Together. Gathering around the same table, eating and drinking, receiving the blessing of being the beloved of God. I invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. Breathe deeply. That oxygen that fills your lungs, it's a gift. That blood in your veins, it's a gift. That loving look you receive from someone else in this community, it's a gift. That cracker in your hands, it's a gift. The juice you drink, which gives life of all kinds, it's a gift from beyond. One day we will lie on our deathbeds. And realize that life is such a gift. And say thank you. From the hundred wants that tug at us. From a thousand voices that hound us. From every fear that haunts us, from each confusion that inhabits us, from what comes to divide, to destroy, from what, come, from what comes to disturb us and does not let us rest, deliver us, O God, and draw us into your relentless peace. Let's eat and drink together. <laughs>